Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipper, the club's vice president of media and editorial. We hope you're staying safe and are well wherever you are. We're eager to return to in-person programming, so keep an eye out for our reopening news. And we look forward to seeing you in person again when it's safe at the Commonwealth Club's headquarters in San Francisco. Until that happens, we are doing all of our programming online. This is the latest in about 450 online programs the club has produced since the beginning of the pandemic. You can find all of our upcoming programs, as well as video and audio from our past events at commonwealthclub.org. For those of you joining us for the first time, welcome and thank you for joining us. The Commonwealth Club is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization dedicated to the civil discussion of important issues of the day. Any views expressed by our hosts, our speakers, or even me are the views of the speakers and not the views of the Commonwealth Club itself. And now, let me introduce Suwandi Tanjun, a board member of the Asian Pacific Heritage Foundation. Suwandi. Thank you, John, for the introduction. Hello and welcome, everyone. I am Suwandi Tanjung, representing the APA Heritage Foundation. We are delighted to co-present co this afternoon's program with the Commonwealth Club of California. Today's program focused on ethnic study is very relevant as we kick off the celebration of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month this year. Over the past year, many in communities of color, and especially those in the Blacks and Asian Pacific American communities, have found ourselves living through very challenging times because of the pandemic of COVID-19 and also the pandemic of racism. One of the causes of racism is the lack of understanding between ethnically diverse communities. That's why ethnic study is so important to help open minds and open hearts to force more understanding and friendship between and among the diverse communities. On behalf of the APA Heritage Foundation, thank you to the panelists for sharing your experience and perspective on the history and importance of ethnic study with us today. I'm going to turn the program to Michelle Miao, member of the Board of Governors for the Commonwealth Club and producer of the Michelle Miao Show. Thank you so much, Suwandi, and thank you to all of you who are joining us today for a special panel of multi-generational ethnic studies, scholars, teachers, and youth advocates. I'm honored to introduce to you to our speakers today. We have Ana de Almeida Amaral, who's a student activist for Stanford University and also an advocate for the National Equity Project. Art Nelson Concordia, who's an educator and coordinator for the Santa, Santa Barbara Unified School District Ethnic Studies Program and also a founding teacher for the San Francisco Unified School District's Ethnic Studies Program. Dr. Tanya Jago, who's a sixth grade ELA social studies teacher in San Jose also a member of the Board of Directors for the National Education Association, Secretary for the NEA Black Caucus, and also Chair of the Civil Rights and Education Committee for the California Teachers Association State Council. Dr. Teresa Montano, who's a teacher at uh, CSU Northridge, also former Board of Director and President of the National Council for Higher Education. Dr. Samia Shoman, who's an advocate for the Liberated Ethnic Studies Model Curriculum Co Coalition, also manager of English Learner and Academic Support Programs in the San Mateo Union High School District, co-coordinator for Teach Palestine and Middle East Children Alliance. Uh, Isa Megali, who's, student, who's a student activist in, at the UC Santa Cruz, um, also co-founder of an ethnic studies program at High Tech High. And finally, our moderator of the program this afternoon, very honored and pleased to introduce to you to uh, Dr. Allison Tintianco Kubalis, who's a professor for the College of Ethnic Studies at San, Fr San Francisco State University. And I'm 
proud to turn this all over to you, Dr. Kibal, or Professor Kibalis. You're a doctor and professor. You're all so amazing. Thank you so much, Michelle. I just want to say thank you to you personally for entrusting me and the panel with this very important topic around ethnic studies in the first person. I want to thank the Commonwealth Club for allowing us this opportunity to tell our stories. I'm super excited to be here with my most beloved colleagues and friends who are all educators in ethnic studies. And so this is going to be a wonderful experience. I'm so excited for everyone here to tell their stories. I'll start by just reminding you I'm Allison, Allison Tintianco Kubalis, and I come to you as an uninvited guest on a land stewarded by Ohlone people. And I'm Ilukana, um, and I'm also Batangueña. Uh, some people call uh, the place that I'm from the Philippines. I identify as Pinay. Um, and that pretty much means Filipina in the United States. I've dropped the Philly part um, as a decolonial act. And so I use the word um, Pinay to identify myself. I'll start off um, with a land acknowledgement. In ethnic studies, this becomes very important to us um, because we wanna acknowledge um, our histories, um, both good and bad. And so I'll start off with this land acknowledgement that I am borrowing um, and revising from the, uh, this document called Honor Native Land, a Guide and Call to Acknowledgement. So here we go. Every community, including the one we're in today, owes its existence and vitality to generations from around the world. Around the world who contributed their hopes, dreams, and energy to making history that led us to this moment. Some were brought here against their will, and some have lived on this land for gen more generations than can be counted. Truth and acknowledgement are critical to building mutual respect and connection across all barriers of heritage and difference. We begin this effort to acknowledge what has been buried by honoring the truth. I'm standing on the ancestral lands of the Ramatush Ohlone people. I pay respects to their elders, past and present, because they are still here. Please take a moment to consider the many legacies of violence, displacement, migration, and settlement that bring us together here today. So as each person um, will share parts of their story, I'm sure that they will also tell you the indigenous land that they're sitting on or working on or living on at this time. So. Part of this whole panel is really to share stories. And the story of ethnic studies starts even before ethnic studies is established at San Francisco State 50 years ago or over 50 years ago. Um, but the point that kind of brings us together is that moment when ethnic studies was fought for in 1968 to 1969, the Black Student Union, very much at the forefront alongside the Third World Liberation Front, fought for us to be on this panel today. People of color on this panel right here, right now. As protesters, activists, community organizers, they spoke out because there was a lack of access, a lack of representation, and also a misrepresentation of our stories. And so it was really important that we address the neglect of indigenous people, black people, people of color, 
within the university and in education. And so that led to the establishment of ethnic studies. I probably don't need to remind the people on this panel of that history, but I just wanted to set the tone. Just as we acknowledge our land, we also acknowledge our history. So in ethnic studies at San Francisco State, we have kind of a pretty clear, <laughs> a clear definition of ethnic studies. And I'll, I'll just read it, it's simple. Ethnic studies provides safe academic spaces for all, for all to learn the histories, cultures, and intellectual traditions of native peoples and communities of color in the United States in the first person. And I'm gonna repeat that in the first person. And also practice theories of resistance and liberation to eliminate racism and other forms of oppression. That's the definition that we use at the College of Ethnic Studies at San Francisco State. And today I'm very, very proud to say that this, this panel will be living that definition. I'll start by saying my, sharing a little bit about my own story. Um, I often say that ethnic studies saved my life, you know, and I, I don't say, that's not a cliche to me, that's for real. Um, I, as a youth that struggled quite a bit in school, I had a really hard time finding my place in the world. Um, and I did a lot of things um, that people would deem at risk. I ended up having to go to a community college, a lonely community college. Um, and I found myself. I found myself because I took an ethnic studies class and the teacher was Ramon Quesada and he made it known that my life mattered and that, I, that my life had value. And this opened up my eyes to what was happening in the world. Um, and, and at that moment, um, taking that class, learning about what was happening in the world and my place in it, I realized that it was worthy um, for me to continue to fight for something like this thing called ethnic studies. Um, and so important that I learned not just how to understand the world, but I also learned how to understand myself and it was honestly one of the first times that I felt loved. So as a result, I fell in love with ethnic studies. Um, and so ethnic studies saved my life, but I also wanna say that I have dedicated my life to saving it alongside these beautiful, beautiful panelists. And so now that I've told a little bit about my story, um, and now I'm gonna ask this panel a very similar question. Um, around this notion of love. And so the question I have for you all is, how did you fall in love with ethnic studies? And so we're, we're gonna start off with Teresa and, um, and then we'll have each person share a couple of minutes about how they fell in love with ethnic studies. So I'm the product of the civil rights movement and the turmoil of the 1960s. I was raised in, in South LA and my political consciousness and identity was partly informed by Black entrepreneurs who had come to South LA as a part of the Great Migration, pharmacists and doctors, you know, who would share their stories about King and, and Malcolm X and had me really think about, you know, I knew I wasn't white and I knew I was Mexican, but I didn't know what that was until I watched this film called I Am Joaquin by Corky Gonzalez, right? 
And as a, a young Chicana activist, I began to say other people have to know our story. And so I organized a walkout in my high school. And we um, started to protest a system that had uh, punished us for speaking Spanish, had basically lied to us about our history, and we demanded um, Black and Chicano studies in our high school. I was the first in my family to go to college. And as a Chicano movement activist, I knew that um, I was going to go to college, but I had no idea what I was going to become until at 19, I ran into the Asian Black and Chicano Pride program. And in, as a college student, began to develop lesson plans in, um, in Chicano studies and Asian studies and Black studies. And we would teach it to elementary school children um, in East LA. So my involvement came as, as a result of my activism in teaching. I was an activist. I wasn't a scholar. And so for me, ethnic studies gave me a purpose. Um, it provided me not, it's not a course, it's not a curriculum, it's a life's commitment. And um, at that point, we were 20% of the population. Today, we're 54%, and 50 years later, people are still fighting for that single class in ethnic studies. Thank you, Teresa. Um... I appreciate that journey. I appreciate all of our journeys. Uh, once again, I'm Art Nelson Concordia. I'm coming, um, um, standing on the Chumash people's land and want to acknowledge that. But my, my path, um, or my love for ethnic studies really, I didn't know this at the time, but it started in, in sixth grade in Miss Escobedo's uh, uh, sixth grade class. It was a Spanish bilingual class. And and I was placed in, I think I was misplaced in that class. I'm, I'm, Filipi I'm Filipino. And I, I was not at all um, uh, Spanish fluent. So half the class I did not understand, um, at, least, at least in terms of the language. But I really understood the, the history that she would teach about the Olmecs, the Toltecs, the Aztec, the Maya, the Inca. And I didn't know at the time that that was really the first introduction to ethnic studies um, that I was exposed to. She was a recent graduate from uh, Cal State LA. She's a Chicano studies uh, graduate. And so prior to that, like I, I knew, I knew that something was going on within, within me. I think just, of course, in reflection, I, I was really a, a product of a lot of harmful conditioning. I mean, there was a lot of self-hate. I was not proud to be Filipino. But I knew at some point early on that I was, that I love, I love, when I went to the Philippines, I was fluent in Tagalog. I was just deeply appreciative of, of the people, the culture, the language, my family. And then, and then somewhere along the way, that, that was completely flipped. And it was Ms. Escobedo through Chicano studies, uh, through, I think, just li living, coexisting with, with my, um, Latinx uh, peers, because I, I grew up, uh, born and raised in Los Angeles. And I think just trying to figure out who I was in, in, this, in this context, ethnic studies really is what reintroduced or introduced myself to myself. And I really see that ethnic studies is, is, was my, is my compass back to wellness, to wholeness. And, you know, it, it is also really painful learning about the history learning about the struggles but super empowering because it, it's it's 
a series, it equipped me with the ability to make sense of the pain, the suffering, the questions, the doubt. Um, and it helped me put things, it helped me understand the world, understand the experiences of myself, my, my siblings, my, my peers, my community. Um, so I think it was that course. And then it was, interestingly enough, I, I came to learn about myself as a Filipino in the United States through Chicano history, um, through the Black liberation struggle. And in, in college, um, I, I ended up getting arrested at the uh, Chicano Studies uh, campaign to, to make it a department and to really save the teachings and to expand the teachings. Um, and that just kept going. And eventually the path led me to, to wanting to teach and to really ground um, our young people in the same kind of understanding of the world. Because it isn't, it's not a script. It's not, it's not a set of lessons. It's so much more than that. Um, I, I, I fell in love with it uh, as a sixth grader, even though I didn't know. And I continued throughout my, my, my life um, to fall in love with it. And to Allison's point, absolutely, like that uh, we need to defend it. Um, there's too much misunderstanding about what what it is, um, and I'm excited about the opportunity to to tell to tell folks broadly um, from our experiences. So, thank you. Thanks, Sergeant Nelson, for sharing. Because I feel like I have kind of a parallel story a little bit. So I identify as Palestinian Muslim. Um, I was born and raised California girl, but Northern California. Um, I'm lucky to be part of a big family. We're seven kids. Um, and although I was born in San Francisco, I was really raised in Sacramento. I went to public schools K through 12, um, where, you know, in K through six, there was not very much diversity, not ethnically, not racially or economically. So here I was, this brown skin, crazy curly hair um, girl on free and reduced lunch, just trying to fit in. And at home, I was raised in a pretty traditional Arab household, and I was very privileged to get to travel to Palestine every few summers um, for vacation with my mom and my siblings. Um, and, you know, my dad, he pushed us into all kinds of, you know, cultural groups and youth groups. So we'd be at these cultural events and fundraisers um, for different Palestinian causes, like singing the national anthem and wearing our T-shirts and you know, here, Sam, you read this poem. Um, and I loved it. And I loved all those pieces. But when I walked out the door and went to school, I became another person. Um, I never felt like there was really a space or even an invitation to bring my full self and that piece of me to school. And that lasted really throughout my education. And what happens when that doesn't exist, you start to think that something is wrong with you not the system. Um, and, and I've had some of these experiences as an educator and a, as an adult as well. And uh, this manifests in a lot of ways, like me wanting to change my name, right? Thinking um, it was ugly. I was ugly. It was weird. And I had lots of ideas every day in third and fourth grade. I came home. I'm, it was Jessica. It was Cammy. Anything that was easy to say and pronounce. Um, and then that grows, right? Because you never see anything about you, your family, why your family came to this country in any of your learning at school. Um, and so this becomes internalized oppression. 
Um, and so for me, it's been a continued journey to learn to love myself um, and to feel like I can be my full self um, and all of and accepted, right? Um, and all of the spaces, whether those are, you know, personal and professional. Um, and I've been an educator in various spaces, um, mostly, you know, high school and university for over 20 years. Um, so what started my journey um, in ethnic studies was in college, right? When I took my first class, and I, I say it's a journey because I feel like I'm still on it, but that's why ethnic studies is so important um, to me and to wanting to spread it to other youth is because that's where I finally identified what I was going through, which was really this kind of ongoing internal battle. And I've seen my own students in my classroom go through it too, and I recognize it because I think Sometimes there's a myth that's like these feelings or this kind of internalized oppression, it lives in all kinds of students, whether they are struggling because the school service, school system hasn't served them. I was a very good student, but that didn't, that helped my papers, but that didn't help me inside and how I felt about myself. So really having taken that class, I started to kind of um, learn to love myself and to accept myself and to assert my identity and be proud of it in all spaces, um, ethnic studies creates that space. And it is an invitation really to be one's true and authentic self. And that is why, um, and to understand how you got in that place of kind of internalized, you know, oppression and questioning yourself in the first place, because you're learning kind of the histories of the systems that made you feel like that. Um, and that's how I fell in love. And that's what's keeping me in love. Thank you, Samia. Um, I am so honored to come to you from Ohlone land. Um, growing up, my I grew up with uh, grandparents who were educators, so I feel very blessed. Um, and I remember them, you know, going to Africa for you know a year to teach and bringing all of the richness back to our community. And so I had the privilege of growing up with that. And one of the things my grandfather used to always tell me is, make sure you take two sets of notes one to get an A and one to get away. And what he meant by that is you take one set of notes to give the teach to give the teacher back what they gave you to show them that you learned, get your A, get an education because that's going to be key for you to be successful in life. But then you have to take a second set of notes to keep your mind free and to know the truth. And so I really just grew up knowing and understanding that there were these two worlds that I had to navigate between. Um, and so when I, when I started teaching, I started teaching as a substitute and I was in a fifth grade class taking attendance one day and the only black student, the only black boy in the class stands up and interrupts attendance and says, excuse me, you're African-American, right? And I froze like, uh, where is this going, right? But if I'm being honest, on the inside, I was like, shh, don't tell anybody. We're not supposed to be Black at school. You're going to get us in trouble, right? Like, that's that's kind of like the conflict that was going on on the inside. And he says, okay, so you are, because I didn't, I didn't say anything. And he says, I just want to tell you that you are the first Black teacher I have ever had. This fifth grade. And he says, we need more of you. I'm going to go to the mall and start recruiting. And by the time I got to the teacher's lounge at lunch. All the other teachers were smiling and laughing and coming over and introducing themselves saying, you must be Miss Jago. We heard about you, right? And so at recess, he went and told all of his other teachers that he had a black teacher. 
And I was reminded, first of all, just of how fortunate I was to grow up with my grandparents who taught me my history, who taught me and affirmed my identity. But I realized that not everyone has that, right? And I realized like at this moment that there's something wrong with our educational system that he felt so compelled at fifth grade to jump up and say, I see myself in you and we need more of this, right? And so that voice is really what drives me as an educator. My, I, I really, my, my entire focus as, as, as a teacher is really our students deserve to see themselves, right? They are hungry and thirsty to see themselves and to, to be included and to be affirmed. And that is our role as the adults. And so what I, I want to see and what makes me fall in love with ethnic studies really is to ensure that this generation of students don't have to take two sets of notes, right? That they're, that they're able to be included in, in their, their own educational experiences and to grow as individuals and to become their best selves. And so that's what my passion, my love, my heart, that's what, what drives everything. Um, and that is ethnic studies. That's exactly what ethnic studies does. So. Wow, it's so hard to follow all of you. <laughs> Those are such amazing stories. Yeah, definitely. Ethnic studies has such a personal connection to every single person who advocates for it. Um, oh, one moment. Um, my name is Issa. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. I am broadcasting to you from Kumeyaay land. Um, I grew up about five minutes from the U.S.-Mexico border, um, five minutes from the San Diego Bay. So a uh, very, pr very proud South San Diegan. Um, and I will definitely say that I am fully in love, head over heels in love with ethnic studies. Thank you so much for phrasing it like that, Allison. Um, so I would say that the first moment that I knew that ethnic studies was like my lifelong commitment, the, the thing that filled my heart the most more than anything else I had experienced uh, was when I was in ninth grade and I was actually just fishing through uh, some of my mom's old books. Um, and looking for something to read, because I used to really, really hate reading. Um, when I was in elementary and middle school, I was always good at reading, I would get like good test scores and stuff. But I absolutely hated it and refused to read anything unless it was like assigned to me and I had to read it. And even then I would do it with a lot of re reluctance. Um, so I was trying to force myself to read something, trying to find something that would engage with me. Um, and I stumbled across a book called Reign of Gold, uh, called, Vic or called Reign of Gold by Victor Villasenor, who is um, a local uh, San Diego Chicano who actually wrote this book as like a, a family history narrative. Um, and so he actually still lives in San Diego, where I'm from. And the book follows the story of his mom and his dad um, from when they were about six years old all the way until um, they were married and had him in, um, I think, Carlsbad, California. And as I was reading this book, it's just the imagery brought me all of these emotional <laughs> connections that like I had never experienced when reading a book before. Um, I think especially hearing about him talking about his mom and her experiences um, on her little ranchito, like with her mom and uh, all her siblings and like milking goats and just like all of the descriptions of uh, being in Mexico just reminded me so much of the stories that my grandmother would tell me growing up. Um, and I think that really feeling the connections um, through this book that he had with his family, uh, the connections that he had with the land that he grew up on, um, it just reminded me and kind of connected me to this new element of being Chicana that I had never 
experienced before. Um, I grew up in a Chicano, Chicana family. Uh, my mom is a very proud Chicana and my grandma's generation were like out on the streets, uh, you know, founding Chicano Park and uh, part of the Chicano blowouts and moratorium and everything. But I don't think I ever really connected what that identity meant for myself until I read this book. Um, and after reading it, it just inspired me to talk more to my family and learn more about where I came from. Um, and that is that feeling, that emotion that I experienced of, of connection and love for this book is what inspired uh, me and Anna and our other comrade Luz to found the first ethnic studies program at our high school when we were 15 years old. Um, and in founding that ethnic studies program, that was exactly it, Allison, was that we wanted a place where others could experience the level of love that we were feeling for our culture and for our community. Um, and through that experience, you know, we started learning our history and practicing these uh, like pedagogical like practices that um, we would later read about in like Pedagogy of the Oppressed or um, you know, like read about titled culturally responsive pedagogy, all of these different things. And we were like, hey, that's like the same stuff we've been doing um, in high school since we were 15 years old. Um, and so I just feel like I really got to live liberatory education. We got to create liberatory education for ourselves um, and for others on our campus community. And I think what's so special about ethnic studies to me um, is that every single person here so far has shared about how there was some agent or some person or, or something in their lives that, that showed them the truth um, and that showed them who they were. And I think that, you know, when you grow up in a system that is designed to strip you of your culture and your identity and assimilate you into, um, into oppression, um, there needs to be some element that's going to, to change you and get you off that track. Um, and ethnic studies is that element for a lot of people. Um, and I think that ethnic studies provides that for folks who don't have, you know, a copy of Reign of Gold in their library, who maybe don't have any books at their home at all, or who don't have grandparents or someone around who will, um, you know, really show them who they are and where they come from. So yeah, I love ethnic studies. I've just been reading uh, All About Love by Bell Hooks, and she talks about the definition of love too, as being like a sustained commitment. Uh, so when I say I love ethnic studies, it also means that um, it's something that I'm going to continue to fight for for the rest of my life. So thank you. Thank you all. Uh, my name is Anna. I am broadcasting to you from Kumeyaay land. Um, and for those of you that don't know, Issa is my best friend. We've been best friends since we were like in sixth grade. Um, and Issa was one of those agents of change in my life who um, like led me to fall in love with ethnic studies. Uh, when we were 15 years old in 10th grade, we founded the first ethnic studies program at our high school. Um, and it literally changed my life. We came into ethnic studies not really knowing what we were creating. Our goal initially was about creating a space for other young people of color to get together and just celebrate who we are. And and really, like, like what Samuel was saying, having a place on campus where we could fully love ourselves and share our cultures and, and be exactly who we were, and then have people who, who would surround us with love and, and celebration and light. Um, and through my experience in ethnic studies, I really learned to fully come into my identity as, as a young Chicana, a young queer woman, um, and it changed my life. It started as that place of, of wanting community and wanting connection with one another, wanting connection with ourselves and our ancestors and the land that we were on. 
Um, and then it turned into what Allison was describing, where we just by being who we are and being together, we began practicing these theories of resistance and liberation. Um, we, we taught in a non-hierarchical way because that's how we knew it felt right. That's how we knew we were creating community. Um, we learned about ourselves through the histories of our, our peers who, you know, we don't share the same, you know, cultural identity with because we saw our stories of resistance in their stories. And then we just created this community of activists and resistors and young people who are literally going to change the world. Um, and that's something that, that I love about ethnic studies. And that's why I love ethnic studies is that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, learning about yourself, learning about each other gives you this, it unlocks this beautiful power and this beautiful light in you that, you know, with every person that I meet in ethnic studies or who has studied ethnic studies or, you know, who taught ethnic studies with me in high school, no matter where they end up going, whether, you know, they become engineers or teachers or, you know, they become doctors or lawyers, I know that within them has been ignited this light and this, this commitment to ethnic studies, this commitment to anti-racism and a commitment to liberation um, that is literally going to change the world. Uh, I'm super emotional and moved by everybody's experiences. I feel like the, this is what we need to be calling ethnic studies. Like what you all just did, tell your stories, you know, from the first person. There was so many nuggets there. You know, like I, I noticed that all of us uh, have come to the table as, as in some way as community organizers, along with being educators. Um, this idea of solidarity is is throughout all of our stories, like learning about ourselves, but learning about other folks of color really inspired us. Um, I, I just feel like I fall in love with ethnic studies every time I hear stories like yours. Um, and I just want to acknowledge that and, and just and sit in it and occupy it and know that this is this is how we define ethnic studies, what y'all just did. So I just want to say thank you first off before I move on to a couple more questions, um, because what you all shared was very personal, vulnerable, um, and thoughtful. So I just want to say thank you for that. Um, and I could relate to all lot of what everyone has said, whether it has to do with, you know, feeling shame um, and then learning about yourself or seeing your first Filipino teacher. I'm oftentimes, Tanya, when people see me in college, I'm their first Filipino teacher. You know, like, and I, I mean, like, that's huge because oftentimes my classes at San Francisco State have 80 to 90% Filipinos and they're calling me their first teacher. So it's huge. So I just want to say thank you for, for all the validation <laughs> that y'all gave right now um, to not just my story, but for uh, a lot of us who are inspired and who have fallen in love with ethnic studies. So um, lastly on that, I think the answer is falling in love with ethnic studies means falling in love with yourself um, and the opportunity to do that. So in, in doing that, many of us have continued to not only teach ethnic studies in our classroom, but then or also organize around ethnic studies and then also support other teachers with ethnic studies. And so my next question is open um, and it really is about how do we understand the current state of ethnic studies um, and what's going on right now? So I'll, I'll pass the mic over to Teresa to get us started. So I think if I were to answer the question about where ethnic studies is right now, we've come full circle. I think that that in in 
folks telling their story here is evidence of that, right? Ethnic studies, there may be bills, you know, one with problematic language, um, guardrail language, another uh, moving in in the community college, there's a curricular framework, but truly ethnic studies is exactly where it should be in the hands of the classroom teacher, of the students and of those who love ethnic studies. So it is now about how we're moving this agenda forward, the implementation of it, whether it's a single course or whether it's a, um, a subject matter to be infused into social studies um, or whether it's in K-12 or higher education, there will be no going back to the day without ethnic studies. Um, and I think that, that you heard that in the stories that everybody shared here today. This isn't about a bill or a project. This is about making sure that when I started, it was 20%. Now, almost 80% of the students in California are fighting for ethnic studies. One single course that tells their stories, that puts them in the driver's seat of the curriculum. And so I don't, you know, it is exactly where it should be in the hands of districts and classroom teachers who will now move this forward um, in their classrooms and in their districts. And that doesn't take away our responsibility. Many of us here are a part of the Liberated Ethnic Studies model curriculum. Others drive ethnic studies in their districts. Two of us are professors and two of you are students who started off the work just the same way I did as a student wanting to see yourself in the curriculum, right? That there is no going back. And that's something that we're going to continue to do. So what California did by pushing back on the voices that created the first model curriculum is actually create a stronger community committed to ethnic studies. It's love, it's solidarity, and it's activism that's created this, and it's love, solidarity, and activism and commitment to a better anti-racist world that's now in our hands to move forward. So we here accept that responsibility, and we'll work with folks until we have a solid, authentic ethnic studies program in every single classroom throughout the state throughout this country. I think to kind of follow up on, you know, what Teresa um, has shared is we are now in a position where lots of districts are adopting ethnic studies as courses in their district, right? Some of us are working um, as leaders of implementing ethnic studies. I'm proud to work in a district that has um, adopted ethnic studies as a class for all freshmen um, in our district to take. And I know many others are following suit but I think, you know, for districts who are implementing ethnic studies, they need to have a very clear vision and purpose for the course, right? This is a class for all students, right? All students need ethnic studies, but it, we need to remember that it has to be centered on the histories and experiences of BIPOC students in our communities. Um, that's how ethnic studies was born. And it's because, right, our BIPOC students are not experiencing being at the center in other courses. Um, ethnic studies pedagogy has a place in all classes. So yes, great, districts are adopting ethnic studies and we're teaching it and students are responding, um, but it can't just be, okay, one class, you take it as a freshman or you take it sometimes in high school and that's it. We really need to train all of our um, teachers in ethnic studies pedagogy to make all classes and spaces on campuses K through 12, right? Humanizing, 
um, spaces for our students. I do feel like, you know, districts really need to set kind of guiding um, values. And most importantly, we need to train and support our teachers, right? Um, there is not an ethnic studies credential yet. Um, a lot of teachers teaching ethnic studies happen to have social studies credentials, but this is a really an interdisciplinary course. Um, and so we have to think about, you know, ongoing PD, having um, teachers work in PLCs, right? And it takes a support system from the district level and the site level. And someone who's really overseeing kind of the implementation and growth of the course. And then lastly, it's like, you know, survey, survey, we should be surveying our students. I know that's a practice we've adopted in our district because students are honest and they're the best way for us to know that we are really serving, right, um, their needs and that they are experiencing the course in the way that it's meant to be experienced. And then lastly, I think, you know, um, people need to have a commitment to continual growth and learning. Things are happening all the time. Um, and so that always needs to be uh, communicated and implemented. So, you know, I, I think those are kind of the pillars as we start to see um, more districts. And then, you know, I know many of you, right, on this panel, I think this, this sharing um, and this work together to really build all of our programs is really important. And so I would in, encourage, right, schools and districts who are just starting who may not have that person or someone that can really lead or have the capacity to reach out to districts where there are people. Because I think kind of, you know, what was mentioned is, you know, this piece around solidarity, this piece to want to see this, you know, succeed and help, right? Um, ethnic studies was born out of struggle. It will continue to exist um, and struggle and we struggle really together. So really knowing that there's a network out here um, to help people in districts. Thank you so much, Teresa and Samia. Um, how important it is to really think about the things that you mentioned around um, ethnic studies isn't just a single course, you know, it really is about um, a philosophy. It's about a pedagogy that can be infused in so many different places. I really appreciate that. And I, I do agree with Teresa, it has made us stronger having really to fight for ethnic studies um, from the beginning, you know, not even in just the last few years, but since the very beginning of ethnic studies 50 years ago, we've been fighting, fighting for ethnic studies. Um, I, I, I want to uh, bring in uh, Tanya uh, to talk a little bit. Actually, I, I should also congratulate you, um, Dr. Tanya Jaco, for um, just, just finishing recently, right? Um, and in, in, the, in the work that you were doing for your doctorate, you, you created a documentary. Um, and I know that um, the question around what is the current state of ethnic studies was part of that documentary. And I'm, I'm wondering what you found. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, I, I really had the privilege. This, this was the best part about the work was getting to sit and really talk with students, um, educators and scholars, really about their experiences, their stories, um, not just in the classroom, but also their advocacy, you know, at the state level um, and in working to develop this curriculum. And so the documentary itself, you know, it tries, you know, I tried to capture, you know, the history of ethnic studies, as well as the current state, and then where we're going. And um, I, I wanted to, I think one of the things that's important to state is this, is that, you know, we, we're aware that um, you'll reap what you sow, right? 
And I think it's important to note that ethnic studies is rooted in truth, in love, in solidarity, right? And so no matter the storms that we may weather, it's always gonna come back to that because those are our roots, right? And that's also what allows us to be resilient uh, through the, these trying storms. Um, and so what I, what, I, what I heard and what I saw and what was captured, really what we saw is what we always see, right? The marginalization, um, decentering the voices of, of educators, leading scholars and practitioners of color, right? Um, that were not allowed really to advocate for themselves. And we saw this really at uh, the highest level in our state. But the beautiful part about that was that from that, like I said, it goes back to our roots. From that, we have now created throughout the state the Liberated Ethnic Studies Model Curriculum Consortium, uh, a nonprofit and network of educators and scholars from throughout the state who are maintaining, continuing to develop uh, curriculum that maintains the integrity of ethnic studies, uh, that maintains its authenticity uh, of ethnic studies. Um, and not only working to develop the curriculum for, for TK through 12, but also teaching other educators, right? Bringing in school districts and teaching them how to develop their own curriculum, how to implement their own programs. Uh, we've successfully held uh, several uh, you know, uh, different practices and a cohort of, of educators with up to 100 educators and administrators from throughout the state uh, and planning to um, host another training this summer. And we are being almost overwhelmed with people saying, we want to do this work, but we want to do this work the right way with you, right? And so, again, I think as we're looking at what where it is now, it's what's been stated, right, that we are, it's in the hands of the educators and the students and the communities. Uh, one of the, the silver linings of the, the pandemic and being online is now our community is, is global, really, because we're in this virtual space. So being able to connect virtually allows us to develop and create community um, that goes well beyond our geographical areas, right, that might have been a limitation from before. And and continuing continuing to build, right, and continuing to move forth because we're resilient. Because again, our roots are rooted in truth and love and solidarity. Um, and I, I have confidence that there's no, no storm that we can't weather. I love that. I love that, Tanya. Truth, love, and solidarity. Did I get that right? Yeah, truth, love, and solidarity. Um, I appreciate that. And it, it really grounds us and, and it really reminds us, you know, like why we're here and why we're, why we're doing all of this, right? And so when you were talking about this notion of what, you know, where, where we're at right now, it makes me think we should also talk about the future, right? We should talk about where it's going, um, what we hope for it. And so I'll start off with Anna and Isa, you know, like, you know, very much our future, right? And I, I want to ask you all, like, what you're thinking about ethnic studies in the future? What is your hope for ethnic studies? Thank you, Allison. Um, when I when I think about the future of ethnic studies, I hope it's, I mean, everything that we described, just an abundance of love and solidarity. Um, and I think for a long time, my hopes around ethnic studies looked like 
you know, I hope every student gets access to an ethnic studies class at their school. And I hope that every student, you know, can take an ethnic studies class if they want to. Um, but I think now my hopes for ethnic studies look like a more free and abolitionist future where like school doesn't feel the way it feels anymore. School, like every classroom, every experience that we have within school is centered on that love, on that community, on that empowerment that we feel in one class. I, my hope is that students can go into any class, into their math classes and their science classes and feel that kind of inclusion and empowerment that they feel in ethnic studies. Um, because, you know, we know that the learning that we experience in ethnic studies is a transformative one. Um, and students deserve not only to have access to that in one classroom, but in everywhere they go. Definitely echo everything that Anna says. Um, we always say that we have the same brain. <laughs> when you've been doing this work alongside a partner for so long, you start to have a lot of the same thoughts. Um, yeah, I, I want ethnic studies to continue creating the love that it has been creating since, um, you know, like you said, Allison, long before the Third World Liberation Front. Um, the future of ethnic studies to me, I think there's a really big community element. I think there's an element to it where, um, sorry, <laughs> I think there's an element to it that is something that communities of color are reclaiming for ourselves and something that we are continuing to share in families, um, in community spaces, you know, outside of school. Um, Allison actually at a recent conference um, brought something to my attention that I've been thinking about a lot, which is like the difference between school and education. Um, and I am so interested and fascinated and passionate about the idea of what ethnic studies looks like um, beyond the confines of an actual physical school, like the actual institutions of the school system. So that's something I'm really excited for. And, um, you know, ethnic studies has always worked alongside uh, movements for abolition and uh, radical change in the real world beyond education, too. So, um, you know, an activity that Anna and I have been working on and planning is uh, a workshop where we're going to be comparing the Black Panther Party's 10-point program with the Third World Liberation Front demands and showing how, um, you know, education movements and movements for ethnic studies have always been a really key and um, an integral part of larger movements for liberation. So, you know, just con continuing to see that partnership and seeing how ethnic studies inspires change on a much grander scale. You two always blow my mind and I'm, I'm almost like silent because I'm like, wow, because, you know, when I, when you, when I hear you two, I'm like, that's what ethnic studies is, right? Like you, you are the, in, in some ways outcome, you know, like if we can call it that or process of ethnic studies, right? Um, and, and so I'm going to put it back, you know, to uh, Tanya, um, like, wh what do you think when you, when you hear these two, I know that um, we're on, you know, maybe in a future documentary, Anna and Isa, you know, like will be part of that. Like, how do you imagine, you know, like the future of ethnic studies listening to Anna and Isa and, and all the things that you heard today? I'm, I'm just as blown away as you are. I'm, I, I was like, uh, uh, what do I say after that? Right? Like, <laughs> that's it. Close the show, drop the mic. Like, I mean that. I mean, I and I'm trying not to get teary-eyed as well because, as an as an educator, this is what we're fighting for, mm. right? Like, this is what this is what we are fighting for is for them to have the freedom and the space to recognize who they are and recognize their recognize their power and to walk in that power, right? And so, um, 
that's the hope of ethnic studies because that's the truth and the truth is liberating, right? And so my hope is that that ethnic studies and especially, I just wanna bring it out and put it in the fuller context, right? Like we're not, it's not lost on us what's happening in, in our society right now with um, the, just the, the racial tensions and civil unrest and the uprisings of the people who are just fed up, right? And so, when we look at the world around us as an educator, I have to take a look in the mirror and say, what is my role in this, right? Because no other profession comes into existence without coming through some form of education, right? And so we have to take ac accountability and responsibility for our role in this work. Um, and when I do that and think about that we are practitioners of education and our responsibility to be truth tellers. Right. And our, our responsibility to create this academic space for our students to engage in these critical conversations. And when we are not doing that, the 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 you know, I feel that that's a malpractice on our part as educators. And so we have to do our role because it is that is it is that's creating that space and telling that truth that is not only healing for our students as individuals and healing for our community our communities but it's also extremely healing for our nation which is so needed at this moment and so i my hope for ethnic studies is that we will begin to see this as what as medicine <laughs> as medicine and that we will begin to 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 walk in that I love that every bit of it Tanya I and I feel medicine just hearing your words to be quite honest so I just want to say thank you thank you very inspiring like this our role as educators as truth tellers um that's solid and that that's really what um I hope for every ethnic studies class so I'm gonna ask a couple more, a couple few of you to, to share a little more about your hope. Um, Samia, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Anna, you're down here in Northern California. So I hope you're teaching by the time my kids get to high school, they're in fourth grade, because I want them to walk into school and be proud and, and confident of being Palestine and Jihad, right? When they get um, into their classrooms and the spaces and they exist. but. I would also love to see more schools adopting kind of the Logan High School um, model, which, you know, they're in Union City, and I have to shout them out because they were a big role um, in inspiring us to get our program started, and we're so gracious in allowing us to um, observe, but they have a department of ethnic studies. So just like you have social science and science and these departments, and they house a lot of different courses from across subject matters. And that is the way that you get kind of these programs um, and ethnic studies more campus wide. Um, so, and I would love to see all teachers trained in ethnic studies pedagogy. Um, regardless of what they teach, whether you're CTE or VAPA, PE, right? We need to make our schools humanizing spaces. And then lastly, to kind of build on um, what both Anna and Issa shared is, I would love to see, you know, one big um, idea in ethnic studies is around praxis, right? And getting out in your community and doing the work. And I'd love to see more of that, like getting our students out in our communities doing this work for their own communities. Um, and so those are some of my hopes. 
I have the same hopes. Yeah. You know, like really um, thinking about those teachers, you know, like beyond in ethnic studies, but then beyond ethnic studies. And this idea of praxis is all that's what we're about. That's how we started this conversation, you know, talking about ourselves as organizers and how we got here. And then also, how do we make sure that that is how students end up leaving ethnic studies, you know, like when they're when they take that ethnic studies class, like how do they how do they know how to use it in, in, in their worlds? Okay, Teresa, what are you thinking about the hope of ethnic studies? You know, I, I, I think it, it bottom line is ethnic studies is um, an anti-racist social justice liberatory project. So it's not about what we teach in the course. It's about the eyes that and the ears that we open as we engage in constructive dialogue in those courses, right? So it is not about what we do in the classroom, but what's what we do outside of the classroom. It's a humanizing project. And having said that, ethnic studies is not ethnic studies unless it is engaged in, in making changes within the community and the systems that have created the injustice and the inequity, right? So having said that, to me, the future of ethnic studies means that when we do, and we will, right, institutionalize ethnic studies for everybody in every classroom, at every grade level, inside and outside of the classroom. If the American Pediatric Association can say, you got to deal with racism, right? If Sesame Street can engage in conversations about anti-racism, right, then we're having an impact as ethnic studies educators in the entire system. And knowing that, then to me, the future of this country is dependent on a quality ethnic studies program, not just for BIPOC people, right? But for everyone, where we have better health care because we're no longer dealing with the racial battle fatigue that people of color have to experience, the, the increased numbers of those of us in our communities that are diabetic or police killings, right? where our workplaces are safe and secure and we don't see people of color suffering at a huge numbers in a pandemic, but that we have as educators and ethnic studies educators finally created a society based on the promise of equity, social justice, equality, and solidarity. And where ethnic studies and anti-racism is no longer a single course or something that we have to fight for, or that people are afraid of, or folks that need to be vilified, but they're at the very center of the curriculum and at the very center of what the society stands for. That to me is a future of ethnic studies. Thank you so much, Teresa, for saying it so eloquently. Um, I believe that is ethnic studies too. I really do. So as we close out today, um, I just want to say thank you all. Um, I, our last person who's going to tell us the hope for ethnic studies will be Art Nelson. Thank you. I just want to affirm everything, everything that you all have, have shared. And I think for me, it's less, less of an emphasis on the hope part and more of just a statement of the faith and confidence that all of these things that we are teaching our young people, it is it is crystal clear to me that they will be making decisions based on this frame. All of our young people will be occupying positions of power, right? 
whether they're parents, like as a father of four brown boys, ethnic studies shapes the way I'm raising them. And I'm by no means a perfect parent, but I'm always committed to like thinking about their development, right? Whether you're like behind a cash register, whether you're the head of, of some corporation, whether you're a soldier on the front lines, a teacher in the classrooms, what I'm seeing is that in spite of all of the opposition to ethnic studies, the learning, the development, the, the, the knowledge and love of self, which allows for that mutual recognition to actually see other people for who they are, because you see yourself for, for who you are. That is really the, the basis for the solidarity. And all of this teaching, I think with ethnic studies, one thing is, is perfectly clear that it's not about learning for knowledge's sake. It's the application of, of these things, these things that we're equipping our young people with, they're wielding to problem solve. So it's this faith, this confidence, and from that, this hope that we will actualize these high ideals of the nation, that we will finally be a, a true democracy, finally a country that is genuinely about freedom and equality. And we do that through justice. And I think at the heart, of justice is love at the heart of ethnic studies is all of the above and and that we do this in community and so um honored and then i think also affirmed especially with anna and Nisa, like wow like, exactly yes there it is and to teresa's point there's no turning back there's no going back and it, it is my hope that, that um I'll, I'll get to continue to work with you all. And again, it's not hope. I, I'm completely confident that we're going to continue to build and develop and grow and actualize. Um, and so honored to be here um, and, and, and hopeful, hopeful for our collective future. It's a, a world of mess right now that we need to mobilize as many of us to, to fix. I think that's at the heart of it. So thank you. Thank you, Art. I just want to say thank you to everyone, everyone on this panel. And, and for real, uh, when you say it's crystal clear, it's crystal clear to me right now that ethnic studies is what we need at this very moment of what's happening in the world. So I just want to say thank you again and again. Um, back to Tanya, this idea of truth, love, and solidarity. Um, and I feel that with every single one of you on this panel. And so I just want to say thank you also for the love, the friendship, um, and the camaraderie, the solidarity uh, that I experience with all of you. So again, thank you Commonwealth Club for this opportunity. Um, I'm gonna pass it back to John Zipper. Thank you, Professor Kabbalah. And thank you to all of you who joined us today to tell us your stories and your hopes and, and your uh, future plans for ethnic studies. And thanks to everyone watching and listening to us online. You can find more Commonwealth Club programs at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS.